0: We're going to be looking at Mark chapter 12. Uh, we're working through Mark. There's, uh, I think there's 16 chapters, so we're at Mark chapter 12. And uh, w- and our one thing today is our access to God's amazing grace has an expiration date. Okay, our access to God's amazing grace has an expiration date. This man, Isaac Zug, was fearless in spreading the good news of Christ. He was a Jesuit and he lived and died for Jesus in the 1600s. And what you're about to hear is based on an account from an author called Stephen Lang. Now, Isaac Jug, a Frenchman, sailed to New France in 1636. Who knows what New France is? Quebec, right? So he sailed over to Quebec to serve as a missionary to the Huron and the Algonquin uh, natives. Seven years later, he and his associates were traveling on a canoe to meet the Hurons when they were captured by the warlike Mohawks. And on August the 2nd, he and and the others were tortured absolutely terribly. Um, The Mohawks actually cut off some of his fingers and afterwards they kept him as a slave for more than a year during which he was regularly tortured, malnourished and left without many clothes during the harsh winters of which we know very well. Um, what's amazing is that during that time he used this time to, to, to show his captors what the basic beliefs of this of his faith were. Then he was ransomed by some folks from um, some folks from the Netherlands who lived in New Netherlands, which is New York State. And then he sailed back from Manhattan to France. And you would think at that moment that he'd had enough, that he'd served the Lord, that probably it's now time for Isaac to relax and retire. But apparently not, because in 1646 he and a Another Jesuit went again into Mohawk country and the Mohawks this time were absolutely convinced that he was a sorcerer. And the reason why they were convinced was he was a sorcerer is because he'd lived through all that they did to him. He was still alive. And so they thought the only way that you can live through all of that is if you're a sorcerer. And so they blamed a um, recent crop failure on him thinking that he did that as vengeance for what they for for what they did to him. And so they sent out warriors in order to capture him. Now, when they found him, it says here that, yeah, they cut him with knives and they beat him. And on October the 18th, 1646, he was actually tomahawked. His head was cut off and the body was thrown in, into a river. Now, here's the thing. is that Isaac Jugg could have led a peaceful and a comfortable life in France, but there was something that drove him, which was a a longing and a passion for lost souls, which is just like his master, right? You know, just like Jesus Christ, who wants folks like you and me to have full access to him. And so whatever gets in the way of that, he shuts it down. And if that means, you know, really... Um, saying no to the whole worship system as it was then in Jesus's time, because it had human greed woven through it. If it, if it means that he shuts that down, well then he will do that. And, and we've just been reading about that in Mark chapter 11. And in the process, he'll ruffle some folks' some folks' feathers, and he'll expose some people's hard hearts in that process. And those hard hearts won't like what Jesus says at that moment. So after talking to the religious leaders, as we learned last week, they're called the Sanhedrin. After talking to them, he then turns from these religious leaders and uh, he turns to the crowd and he tells them a story in Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 12, verse 1, and because everyone loves a story. And this story is the story of a landowner who makes a vineyard. He rents it out, and then he moves away. Now, in those days, they didn't have things like e-transfer or maybe PayPal, and so he sent a servant. He sent someone that worked for him to ask them for the rent. Now, shockingly, as we read in Mark chapter 12, yeah, the tenants, rather than paying the rent, instead they actually beat the landowner's servant and they send him away. And then equally shocking, the landlord gives them another chance. He sends, he's, he sends another employee and they abuse this one even more. They strike him on the head and it says that you treat him shamefully and then blowing everyone's mind, he sends yet another one, and he's, he's actually killed. And this starts this kind of wonderful and this horrific um, system or a pattern of sin and grace. And sin and grace. Murder, he sends another one. Injury, he sends another one. Murder, he sends another one. This happens over and over and over again. And verse 5 sums it all up by saying some. Th- they beat others, they killed. And still the landlords keep sending servants to restore this broken relationship. And yet the tenants are resolute in their rebellion. I mean, why pay rent when you can own the land yourself for free? Now, the servants in this story represent all of the prophets in the Old Testament. And if you know anything about being a prophet, if you've read read your Bible at all, then you'll know that if you're a prophet, if you have that wonderful spiritual calling placed upon your life, then you're in for a miserable life. Because the best case is that you would have a miserable life. The worst case is that you would have no life. You would actually be murdered. And so we read in Second Chronicles thirty-six verse fifteen uh, that the Lord, the God of their ancestors, sent words to them through His messengers again and again, because He had what? Had pity on His people, but they mocked God's messengers and they scoffed at His prophets until the wrath of the Lord was aroused against His people, and there was no remedy. And then we turn to First Kings chapter nineteen. Uh, which is actually these are the words of Elijah. Uh, he he was a prophet of God. He had a rough life, and he's running in fear from his life for his life. And as he's running in fear, he says this. He says this is a prayer. So if you ever struggle with you know your prayer, you can say anything in your prayer. Here is a prayer, which says, "Yeah, the Israelites have rejected." your covenant, and they've torn down your altars, and they've put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. So you can be as honest and as frank in your prayers as you like, because this was his reality. And then in Acts chapter 7 verse 52, right before he's actually stoned by an angry mob, Stephen, who's the first Christian martyr, says this, was there ever a prophet that your ancestors did not persecute? So that was the job. And yet God was relentless in his grace. And the people were relentless in their rejection of him. You see, what, what we see in the parable is the vineyard. This actually represents the nation of Israel. And the landlord loved his folks because we, we, we read this in Isaiah chapter 5, and just see you know these, these themes which are in Isaiah 5, which we read in Mark chapter 12 as well. It says, I will sing for the one I love a, a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He, he dug it up, and he cleared it of stones, and he planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it, and he cut out a wine press as well there's lots of things there which we see in Mark chapter 12 and so you can see here as you read this God's love you know and the pride that he has as he turns this nation into a place which is able to bear fruit for him it was his place he was really proud of it he he cleared it he he planted it He built a watchtower to look over it and to protect it. And so what we see in Mark chapter 12 is a sign, is a huge picture, is a clear sign of of God's heart of mercy and grace. Year after year, you know, generation after generation, he, He gave the people a chance to return to Him. And this, what we see in that, is God's powerful grace in history or we can say like this, God's powerful grace in his story, his story. And I wonder, as you look back through your life, I wonder, uh, have, you, uh, have you seen God extending his grace into your life? How many messengers of hope and reconciliation has he sent your way? Um, how often has, has, has he said something to you and you just know that it's him speaking to you? And maybe you haven't murdered those holding the message, but maybe you've laughed at them. Maybe you've said, well, that's not really God. He wouldn't say that. Maybe you've even spoken words of rejection or hatred, you know, to those who are speaking words of God's truth into your life. And the Lord sees this, and yet he still keeps sending messengers to you, saying to you, I love you. I want to have a relationship with you. I want you to know me as your father, as your Lord, and as your landowner. You see, there's such such joy in realizing that We are the tenants of this life which we have. We aren't the landowners. There is this wonderful peace in recognizing that this life is not mine, but that every breath which I have from, from him is so that I can breathe it back and worship him. Where the problem happens is when we claim sovereignty over our lives. Um, w- when we say, actually, we have the rights, you know, um, it's not yours, Lord, it's mine. Um, then it's, w- it's what happens when we say shotgun, but that seat isn't ours in the first place. It's his. And yet God still sends his messengers of grace And the very fact that you're sat here today listening to what I'm saying to you means that God is not through with you yet. He's still speaking and he's still work he's 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 working his his he has mighty grace and it keeps on going. Verse six He had one left to send, a son whom he loved. He sent him last of all, saying, They will respect my son. Yet the tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him, they killed him, and they threw him out of the graveyard. Out of the vineyard. Sorry. Into the graveyard. Out of the vineyard, (laughs) into the graveyard. Oh, Now Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1 through 3 says this, in the past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, okay, in the past this happened, but in these last days something new, something else has happened. He has spoken to us not through the prophets but through his son whom he He appointed heir of all things, and through whom He also made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being. And what this is saying is that the age of the prophets has ended because the one that the prophets were pointing to has now arrived, which is Christ. And so we used to see God's powerful grace in history or in his his story, but now we see God's perfect grace in his son. Jesus is God's last word. He's the final word. And you have to think about this. Knowing how the tenants had really treated his servants and the prophets and the messengers, knowing how much this had actually cost him and the prophets, still the Lord never gave up this reckless love, which we heard about. He kept on pouring out grace upon grace, and so he sends his son, and they think, well, surely they will respect him. Uh, you see, he's still looking to restore that relationship. He still longs for restoration he still loves loves those who are who are in the vineyard and so he sends his son this perfect representation of him you look at jesus you see god because he is god and so he sends he he, he almost sends himself his last word his final word after jesus there is no other word and this is the thanks that he gets they they kill his son Now, what's most likely going through their mind at this moment, you know, in terms of the tenants is this, is that they think that if he sent his son or if his son's there, then that probably means that the father is no longer alive. And so they think that the son's there, you know, to claim what is his. And so they think if we kill him, then there's nothing in between us and the vineyard. So why don't we actually get rid of the son and then it's all ours? So what they're doing at that moment is crazy because they see the landowner's grace, meaning that he's actually probably dead. He's weak. He doesn't have any power. That they see his mercy and they misunderstand as weakness. And And we also have to remember that as the Lord shares this, He's there in the temple, and he tracks this history of redemption for those listening. He's saying that, yeah, the prophets were sent. They were killed. Now it's the time of the sun, and he's saying without saying it, here's the sun in your midst. I am the sun. But by talking about the son being killed in the past, because of course Jesus is still alive at that moment, right? He hasn't actually gone to the cross yet. But by saying that this has happened in the past, he's saying that what will happen in terms of the cross, that's a done deal. It will happen. There's no way out. I have to go through this. And so the question is, why does he have to die? Well, according to Mark chapter 12, he dies so that he can bring to the re- to the <gasps> rebellious tenants the news of the landowner's amazing grace. That's why he dies. Now, when I was younger, and we used to listen to, you know, uh, you know, to tapes, and my mum and dad had them in the car, and you know, we would listen to Enya, and we'd listen to, you know, Panpipe Moods, and all of that kind of thing, you know, on our journeys. Well, one of the singers that we used to listen to was a guy called Michael Card, and his songs are amazing. And one of his songs says this, when the Father's wisdom wanted to communicate his love, he spoke it in one final word. He spoke the incarnation, and so then was born the Son. His final word Was Jesus. He needed no other one. He spoke flesh and blood so that he could bleed and make a way divine. And so was born a baby who would die to make it what? Mine. So God's powerful grace in history, God's perfect grace in his son. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants and he will give the vineyard to others what we see in the bible is a history of the grace of god and what we see in human history is his story it's all about him and 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 what we see in christ is the pure concentration of god's grace in that even while we were still sinners jesus died for us so that he could bring us this message of grace in himself but like anything there there will be a time when the offer of grace ends when we no longer have access to it it has an expiration date that's not to say that god's grace is limited in scope of course it's not because there's no one who comes and knocks on the door that he will lock out and say no you aren't welcome you see if god's grace and your and your sin were arm wrestling right his grace would win every single time you would not stand a chance, so that is truth, that is reality. it wouldn't even be close and yet, if we don't come to the table and accept god's grace, we can never access it we can never you know we can never know it. One of our folks in our grow group shared a story recently um and it's not a su- it's not a super personal one, but he told the story of how he had a gift card, and it was there in his wallet, and it was ready to be used, and it was it was it was it was great week after week, month after month, and it was there, and he, he knew it was there, or maybe he forgot. Well, eventually he remembered while he was at the store, and so he went up to the cash and and wanted to use it, but then he was told sorry. You were too late. The gift card has expired. He and he was told that he was one day late. One day late. He missed it and he was not able to use it. And so you see, it's not enough for us to know that salvation's there. We have to choose it, we have to accept it. We have to act. We have to do something about it. Acts 2, verse 37 says this. When the people heard the good news, which is what you've been hearing this morning, they were cut to the heart and they said, what must we do? What must we do? And the answer is this. You must accept God's final word that Jesus has come. He brings this message of reconciliation and hope. He, he came so that he could turn rebels into sons and into daughters. He came to show us that this way back to God is still open. He, he shows us that our rightful landlord still wants us back. But one day, this, this door of grace will be shut once this life is, is over. And verse 9 says, says this, What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come, he will kill the tenants, and he will give the vineyard yet yeah, to others. And what this meant then in those times in, in, in Mark chapter 12 is that is that when when Jesus died, is that the care for the vineyard shifted from Israel's religious leaders to a new group because they were so hard-hearted that they could not see that God was working out his plan in front of them. And so 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 this vineyard and the responsible uh, responsibility for it shifts from then o- them over to new tenants which is yeah Jesus apostles and so we are now you know the tenant farmers of the church and we're still living that out and there's this amazing reversal that happens then that we read in mark chapter 12 verse 10 that says this haven't you read that the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, the Lord. He has done this, and it's marvelous in our eyes. And what this means is that this stone which was cast aside, which was thought of as useless, will be the foundation stone of God's new new church, us, this this And 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 the and the whole point of the foundation stone is it says how large the building is going to be, how long it will be, how high it will be. And this stone, this 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 cornerstone, links everything together. And that is Christ. And he was the one who was thrown aside, who was rejected. He was the son who was who was murdered. And what is the temple? It's us. He is our cornerstone, and that's why it says it is marvelous in our eyes. It's marvelous that He can take the rubble of our lives, and He can build us up into something absolutely beautiful. In fact, we read this Yes, in the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, which just links everything together, which you've heard this morning, it says, You are members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is um, joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. And so we've, we've seen this, 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 this um, wonderful, powerful grace of God in history. We've seen God's perfect grace in Jesus, his son. And when we hear that message, it does one of two things. It either draws you to him, and this message is marvelous in your eyes, or it will actually drive you away. As verse 12 shows us that then the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders looked for a way to arrest him after hearing all of this because they knew that he had spoken the parable against them. But they were afraid of the crowd and so they left him and went away. Throughout history, God has been speaking to humans through the prophets through, through his messengers, through his servants. And time and time again, his gracious message has been rejected. And finally, he sends his son, who surely, who surely took up our pain and bore our suffering, and yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But here's the truth. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, and the punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. God's powerful grace in his story, in history, God's perfect grace in his son. Jesus is the son who was killed. Jesus is the stone that that was rejected, and yet for those who place their complete trust in him, he becomes Yeah, the cornerstone of their faith. He becomes that rock of ages that never lets us be moved because Jesus is the servant king. That man I mentioned at the beginning, Isaac Jog, he had it good. And our Lord Jesus Christ, he had it really good. He was royalty. He did not have to leave where he was. He could have stayed there and kept his identity, and his royalty, and his riches. But there was something that really drove him to leave all of that, which was you. It was you, your soul. And he would lay down his life so that you could hear this message of peace from almighty God, the landlord of the universe. And many reject him. And say that this message is nonsense. But there are some who hear it. And who embrace it. Who say you can be my Lord. And these are the people who make up this wonderful spiritual building. That spans ages and nations. And you know backgrounds. And it's in that. It's in this building that God himself actually dwells. So what about you? I'm here to tell you that that this door to salvation is still open, that you still have access to God's amazing grace in Christ, but one day the doors will shut and it will be yeah too late. So what's t- to stop you here, here today from moving forward and saying to God, would you be the landlord of my life? Would you take ownership of it all? Would you take ownership of my past, of my regrets, of my sins, of my failures? Lord, I trust you that on that cross, you took care of my sin problem. And now I take Jesus as my cornerstone, this, this stone that I previously rejected. And now I choose to build my life on him. And when I make that choice, I will become part of this wonderful building of praise that God is is building with Jesus as the cornerstone. Right this moment, you, you can experience this love and the grace of the Son who came, who died, so that you could know that God's grace is amazing and that it is open to you. It is still available.